Welcome to Women Who Protect, a monthly series as part of the Ontic Protective Intelligence podcast. In a profession largely dominated by men, we spotlight women working in a wide range of positions within security, protection, and law enforcement. We will hear their stories, discuss their accomplishments, and also seek their advice for women and girls who might be interested in a career in protection or security. I'm Dr. Marisa Randazzo with Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. After nearly three decades of experience working in security and protection, as the chief research psychologist at the U.S. Secret Service, and then in the private sector providing security guidance to corporations, educational institutions, and high-profile individuals, I know firsthand the immense value that women bring to this field. And I know the challenges that we face. I look forward to sharing with you the stories of women who protect and hope they inspire other women and girls to consider joining our ranks. Now, on to the podcast. Karen Moore is the Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer at Unisys, a global technology service and solutions company. Reporting to the General Counsel and to the Board Audit and Finance and Security and Risk Committees, she's responsible for the design and implementation of the company's global compliance program and charged with oversight of the Unisys cross-functional privacy program. Karen, welcome to Women Who Protect. Thanks, Marissa. I'm happy to be here. So I want to start out first for our listeners with talking a bit about what your current position is and, and explain a little bit for folks about what you do and how that involves protection. So you're your chief compliance and privacy officer with Unisys. Tell me a bit about what that means and, and the intersection with protection. Um, absolutely. So um, privacy is, is normally a, a subset of, of compliance. It's one of the typical compliance risks that a large corporation will be managing through its compliance program. Um, for a company like Unisys, which is a technology services and consulting organization, privacy is really front and center and an integral part of the business, um, which, which is why my title is a little bit longer than normal. And, and I wear those two hats, the chief compliance officer and, and the chief privacy officer. And Essentially, in a nutshell, privacy can't exist without security. We're intertwined or joined at the hip. Um, I like to tell our CISO that if he's doing his job correctly, then my job is a whole lot easier um, because privacy really comes down very largely to the protection of um, personal information, you know, that we we collect it responsibly and we manage it uh, in line with regulatory expectations, but above and beyond all else that we protect it um, appropriately uh, as, as a, a, a critical set of uh, information and assets to the organization. So that's where that intersection happens. Um, like I said, we're, we're really intertwined security and privacy in, in a lot of what we do. It is something I think so many people don't think about is um, just as you said, that privacy can exist without 
security. I think that's such an important point. Tell me a bit about how you got into the field. Well, it's it's a little bit of a journey there, Marissa, and I like to say that I got into privacy um, being dragged through a hedge backwards. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to take you back a little bit through my my kind of my 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 career story because I certainly didn't um, wake up one morning and say, "Ooh, privacy that would be a great field for me." Um, I was actually a, a corporate lawyer working in private practice for a, a large law firm. Um, I was actually working in their Moscow office primarily um, because I was a Russian major in in college. So it, it's amazing what your spur of the moment choices lead you to. But it, it did lead me to this this practice. Um, I got called one day by a um, large tobacco company um, asking if I would be interested in moving in-house and heading up their Russia practice, which I thought would be interesting. And as as lawyers, a lot of time um, when we're outside counsel, our advice goes into a black hole. Um, and you don't get to see what's on the other side. So I thought it would be kind of nice to be on the receiving end and see where this advice ended up in, in a business context. So I did that. Um, ended up moving to their uh, global headquarters, which were in Switzerland, um, and heading up the Central Europe law department. So same job, but just a bigger geography when my region disappeared, um, because this was the time where a lot <laughs> oh, of the, yeah, you can't plan for politics sometimes. <laughs> and, and a lot of the Eastern European countries were joining the EU. So that, that region was getting smaller and smaller um, because we had an EU region. Um, so, so the decision was, let's take the rest of these countries and put them in Eastern Europe, Middle East, and Africa, take the EU accession countries as they move over and move them into EU. And I was out of a job. Um, and our general counsel said, you know, why don't you take on compliance um, for a bit while we figure out what's what's going on, um, you know, with opportunities for you. And, and I thought this was the worst punishment ever because um, I was a corporate <laughs> oh, lawyer, right? I wanted to do mergers and acquisitions and, and key litigation and get involved in all of that. But um, in those days, compliance was sort of this is where you put people as you're moving them on to retirement or, or elsewhere. And, and that's changed dramatically um, since then. But, uh, but I took it on and he was actually correct. I, I absolutely loved the interdisciplinary nature of compliance. I loved the kind of broadening of areas I needed to learn about. I loved being closer to business strategy uh, rather than strategic implementation. So that all worked out um, really well. And I eventually <clears throat> moved on to a similar position um, with another company. And in those days, and um, you, you know, we're talking a good maybe seven, eight years ago um, now, um, privacy was not top of mind uh, for most large corporations, um, unless they were in a sector-specific space that was specifically regulated for privacy, like healthcare or financial services. Um, privacy was just something that was on the bottom of the compliance list of risks, well beyond for most companies, things like um, bribery and corruption or insider trading or intellectual property. Um, so I didn't know much about it. And when I interviewed for this uh, new position, um, the, the general counsel said, look, we're looking for somebody with experience in one or more of the following, because these are our priorities. Um, bribery and corruption, trade sanctions, and data privacy. And I said, I got you on bribery and, bribery and corruption. You know, <laughs> love the FCPA. It's just been a you know, gold mine of in interesting activity. Um, sanctions equally, uh, you know, I've worked a lot with. I'm very comfortable with data privacy, don't know anything about. And he said, fine, you're hired. 
I show up on day one. Oh, by the way, the board met yesterday and they've decided that since the GDPR has just been announced, um, you know, we've got about 18 months before its implementation. Data privacy um, and a data privacy program for this company is absolutely paramount. And I just thought... Okay, why not? New adventure. <laughs> and, and the one the one that you had just told them you knew nothing about. <laughs> right? and, well, exactly. At least I'd been honest. So, you know, they gave me some money, uh, found good outside counsel, found the uh, International Association of Privacy Professionals, went through literally a boot camp. That's what they call it. Um, you know, data privacy boot camp was fortunately in great company because the GDPR um, draft had just been, um, you know, promulgated maybe six months earlier. There was 18 months where everybody was scrambling. What the heck does this mean? Um, What are we going to do about it? And so, you know, nobody, the way I, the way I looked at it, nobody knew more about the GDPR than I did. Um, So it was was not bad timing. (laughs) And funny where it leads you, right? You know, for, for better, for worse, you know, six, seven years later, I'm, um, you know, the, the chief privacy officer at a technology services company. Um, so for my sins, I guess I've succeeded um, as, as well as I could have. And so let me, uh, for our listeners, let's, um, can you just do a quick overview of GDPR? Because I do remember when that first came out, what how, what a big deal it was for all aspects of information security and, and, and other aspects. So quick overview. Mm, it, it certainly did a lot for information security overall as well, which which I um, think was a great outcome because um, it married up the, the law department and the information security department to try and figure out strategically what this meant. So that was a good outcome. But right, the, the GDPR is the General Data Protection Regulation. It's an EU level regulation. So um, if you're not EU savvy, you know, you can kind of think of it a little bit along the lines of the difference between a a federal law uh, in the U.S. versus a state law. So it's a law that was effective in all 27 member states, as is no kind of conversation or dilution. Um, And it replaced um, a a directive. And, And in the EU under EU law, if you have a directive, it's kind of the central um, body's way of saying, here are some big principles. We would like you all to create your own laws that follow these principles and, and enact them in line with the way that laws are enacted in your country. So we effectively had 27 different privacy laws um, in Europe that were not really uh, enforced, except in, in a few countries. And France would be a great example where the, the French authorities, the regulators, Keneal, um, were, were pretty active early on. But for the most part, uh, the regulators didn't have a lot of funding. Their laws didn't have a lot of emphasis. The fines and consequences were pretty small. But GDPR comes in to replace these directives with whopping great fines. I mean, based on uh, percentage of global turnover of your um, of your corporate revenues. And so um, just on that basis alone, companies started to pay attention. But because they were uniform, um, because they had these big revenue generating opportunities at the national level, um, all of a sudden the regulators on a national level started getting better funding, uh, more sophisticated personnel, and they started looking around for who was going to be uh, their their great first example. So everybody was was 
frantically scrambling to comply on a fear basis alone. Yes. Um, I think that the, the value add um, appreciation came later. But um, as you pointed out, Marisa, this also became an important um, component for information security operations and, and companies as well. Well, and it's interesting because I had been doing um, research back in my Secret Service days. We we had done a large scale um, study of insider threats to information systems in critical infrastructure sectors, and it was pre GDPR. And I remember sort of being in that field of information security and seeing these silos between information security and physical security and silos between information security and HR, that there'd be online activity employees were engaged in that HR didn't know about, but HR was worried about the same individuals for their in-the-office behavior and, and a lot of silos that unfortunately still existed in many organizations. But, but, I, but this was all pre-GDPR. And I remember that when GDPR came out, it had such a an, an impact, a disruptive impact in terms of the prioritization of information security. It now catapulted to become a top priority for so many organizations in a way that, that it hadn't been previously. And so it was fascinating to watch that and watch it become a budget priority, watch it become a, you know, just a, a, a priority that the C-suite and, and boards were saying, you have to be doing this now. We, we can't not do it, as you were explaining, because the fines were going to be so severe um, and a whole lot of chaos around what does this mean? How do we do this? It's so true. I mean, all of those such important um, set of observations. I certainly had never worked with the information security team in the past. And now our CISO uh, and I speak almost every day. In fact, he was pinging me two minutes before this podcast, like, can I talk to you? Um, and, and we present together to the security and risk committee of the board because a lot of what I have to say impacts what he's doing and, and vice versa. So um, I think there were a lot of silver linings here. And unexpected consequences, um, unintended, uh, but, but mostly beneficial because it did shed a light not just on how do you manage personal data, but how are you managing data full stop? Um, and in this whole uh, area of cybersecurity, threats to organizations that can have just these incredible uh, bad effects on your ability to operate, let alone your reputation, let alone your financial uh, status. I think that uh, the fact that there was a little bit of an earlier interaction mm -hmm. between information security and uh, and privacy and, and the law department generally uh, was very beneficial to companies to start looking at this as a holistic view on uh, data management, not just privacy, not just company systems. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In a world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That's why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in the security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse and alternative analysis for some of the industry's top practitioners. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. 
Karen, tell me a bit, as you mentioned about your relationship with, in your company, your your CISO, your Chief Information Security Officer, was that relationship always good? Did you have to intentionally build it? Because this is part of what I think is so important in security is this cross-functionality and, and learning how to play well with others in the sandbox. We all have very similar goals in security and protection broadly defined, but sometimes it can actually be difficult to to start or or foster those relationships that we need. I've been incredibly fortunate, Marisa. The the CISO is the one who reached out to me. Uh, he actually was on my interview panel. So, um, you know, I, I think had a say in whether he thought we were going to play well together. Um, but from day one has been nothing but, you know, welcoming, patient as well, because there is a lot uh, in on the security side uh, in terms of acronyms and standards and things that do have uh, an impact on what I do um, as well. And, and there's there's no reason to reinvent the wheel, but we needed to collaborate on things like um, vendor questionnaires, right? The questions that he wants to ask are different than the questions that I want to ask, but they, they also overlap. They're coming from different perspectives. So in every single regard, um, I've been fortunate because I'm not really sure that Information security is is a is a natural skill set for a lawyer, and I'm not sure that legal analysis and and kind of strategic planning is a natural skill set for a CISO. And the fact that both of us were open um, to that and exploring that and patient with each other, um, it's just been a tremendously positive experience. Now I I hear. Um, bad stories from colleagues that that's not always the case. Um, and I've heard from our own CISO that in, in past lives, he has not had a good relationship with the, um, with the law department or the, or the, the chief privacy officer. Um, so we're, we're both counting ourselves lucky, but I think, I think both professions have moved on as well from those kind of early divides. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And it's wonderful to hear the relationship you have there. Tell me a bit, are, do you also have regular interactions with corporate security how is is there is there overlap for you there um there is i think i think largely because we are in the technology space um uh there's a little bit more integration than there might be in other companies so our CISO, i can't even pronounce uh his title anymore so i keep using CISO, but he's the <laughs> Corporate Security and Infrastructure Officer, the CSIO. Oh. So um, I'm lucky that that's all under one umbrella. But he has also built a team that is very collaborative. So on on all sides, on the information technology, the information security, and the the kind of broader um, cyber components and and threat group. Um, yeah, I work really well with all of them. That's great. It- what has been your experience as a woman in this field? And, and going back to recognizing that, that you've had a couple of different roles and responsibilities in different organizations along the way, uh, challenges that you've seen, uh, opportunities, tell me what your perspective is there. Yeah. So really interestingly, um, you know, I've only been at Unisys for three years and I was in, in shipping before that and financial before that and tobacco before that. So I'm used to climbing uh, kind of industry learning ladders, but technology is the one that's presented 
the biggest challenge for me um, because conceptually it's it's difficult. And when I first started, I was asked to um, present uh, at a women in technology uh, conference. And I said, oh, you've got the wrong person. I'm not a woman in technology. <laughs> I'm a lawyer. And, and our, uh, it was our CISO actually said, you know what? You are a woman in technology. You are working uh, in, in privacy. In fact, you're a woman in security, um, mm-hmm. which I hadn't thought of myself that yeah. way uh, at all. I'm not, I don't understand the way systems work. I continue to ask really uninformed questions of extremely patient people um, on that side of the business. Uh, I, I finally learned, you know, things like multi-tenant servers and all things that I can bandy about with a little bit of confidence, but that even that took me a while. Um, so I still don't understand. I always have to tell people, can you back up to the beginning and make pretend you're explaining this to your sister because uh, this isn't something that I've naturally come to. So I'm not, I don't know if it's, if, if it's because I'm a woman in a traditionally male environment or whether it's because I'm a lawyer in a traditionally tech savvy um, <laughs> environment, but um, I haven't, I haven't really felt the need I, I think because I come at it with a certain degree of um, of understood naivete, um, I haven't had to think about, is that because I'm a woman? I think it's just because I'm uninformed. Um, on the other hand, I will say I started my legal career, as, as I said, um, in, in Russia, uh, dealing with privatizations, you know, which were highly political, somewhat corrupt, um, dealing with a lot of tough people and, and a lot of tough men in the room. And I think I just plowed ahead and sometimes used it to my advantage because there was an assumption of lower capability um, that was sometimes easy to play on, to be honest, um, that, oh, she couldn't possibly understand this when I actually understood full well. Um, And I'm increasingly understanding the the, um, security side of things. So um, I haven't felt the need to play the card here. I think I may be wrong, Marisa, and, and you know you talk to a lot more people with a lot more experience than I do. But I think that this is a welcoming profession um, to women. Yeah. Like, yeah. please come and join us. I, I don't think that there's a barrier other than women don't maybe think to enter this field. I, I think that is so right. And uh, again, sort of part of the hidden element in these conversations we're having is that security and protection, broadly defined here, really is very welcoming, can be very welcoming for women. But I think so many women don't even think about it as a possible career. And not, I don't know what the underlying assumptions or misconceptions might be. Um, but I have found in, in my lengthy security career um, it, that I've been welcomed by women. I've been welcomed by men. I have faced challenges with people who weren't welcoming. But I, in in looking back, it was not because I was a woman. It's because they were difficult personalities or we had a bad interaction between personalities. It didn't come down to you must not be capable enough. It, it, in my experience, for example, I was a, a non-1811, a non-special agent working in an agency predominantly dominated by special agents. And, and they were the focus and they should be the focus. I was there in a support capacity. What, whatever expertise I eventually could bring to the table, I was there in a support capacity. And so it, it wasn't because I was a woman. There were plenty of women who were agents. It was because I was not an agent and not that I was treated poorly, just treated differently because I didn't have the same experience, had gone through the same 
training that they had, et cetera. So I think getting back to your very important point, the field of security and protection can be very welcoming, but women often don't think to get into it. And so I'd love to to get your thoughts from a guidance perspective, from an advice perspective. What would you tell or what do you tell women and, and young women and even girls who may be considering a career in protection, broadly defined, information security, privacy? What what do you tell them? What would you tell them? Yeah, I I I think first of all you have to put aside the the first image that comes into your mind when you think of a security um, or or systems person, right? That kind of geeky guy sitting in a dark room <laughs> with a huge bank of computers and monitors. And um, I, I think that that is one of the things that's slightly off-putting. And I wonder if that somehow, somewhat goes with the skill set, right? It is something, it's a field where you have to be very, um, very broad thinking in your ability to abstractly connect the dots, um, it's not something where you put your hands on or look through a microscope or do a lot of reading and figure it out. You've, you've really got to work on a lot of different levels. Um, and, and I think that women are really suited to that skill set because it's something that we tend to do. And I, and I know I'm speaking really broadly about 50% of the global population, but <laughs> I, I think to the extent that you can make gender specific assumptions, women are really good at working on these different levels, the, the big picture and the small picture at the same time. And they say that women are good at multitasking. Um, I might say as I get older that maybe it's young women are good at multitasking, but I, I think it's a, it's a mental multitasking field. Um, and, and all the women, especially that I talked to at Unisys that are working, um, especially on the, on the security side, on the threat side, they're, they're such phenomenal conversationalists because they're, they're thinking about things from all different angles all the time, um, which I love. So I would, I would tell young girls and women who are interested in how the world works, um, that, that security, that privacy, um, I would add, uh, you know, throw in compliance in there and, and add a little bit of a, um, an ad for compliance as well, um, are things where there isn't a narrow lane. Um, and so it, it lets you freestyle, I guess, if I'm going to try not to mix metaphors. It really lets you figure out um, a whole lot of things with original thinking. Um, and, and I think that that's probably one of the best characteristics of a career that you can explore. And I think you're a wonderful example of this. You you were talking about in your college days, you were pursuing a a Russian major or or something similar to that. And and then you ended up where you are. And and, um, so I think it's getting back to what we talked about at the very beginning. You can have an unintentional route into aspects of security, privacy, compliance, protection, um, and and you don't have to know from day one that this is what you want to do. Oh, absolutely not. Because I don't think it is something that you can just set out a linear path on. I think that that actually, by definition, limits your capability. Um, so I, I actually started out as a biology major. Um, and then, then ran into, uh, you know, inorganic chemistry was kind of my nemesis. Um, I realized I was never going to be that good at it, even though I was interested and, and Russian, you know, we had a a language requirement and they were like, oh, you know, if you, you know, spend 
semester in, Mo- in our Moscow program and then, you know, write a thesis, then you can have a double major. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so you, you sometimes path of least <laughs> resistance. But when yeah. I think about it, actually, every this whole kind of crooked path that has led me into um, this field has had this common theme running through it, which is I want to try and understand how things work. You know, at the biology level, I was really interested in um, molecular genetics. I wanted to find out how does life work? And and even with Russian, which I, I treated so lightly, it was, especially once I'd had time to be there, you know, these were the Cold War days. So it was like, ooh, the big bad Soviet Union. Oh, wow. It was like, how, do, how does the mind of these people work? They look so much like us and they think so differently and, you know, 25 years later, I still don't have the answer, but, but it's like, how, how did that work? And it's the same thing with, with privacy, you know, how does this work in a world where, where everybody, we're so voluntarily offering up our information on a silver platter and then companies are being told, yes, but you can't use it or you, you have to, um, you know, protect it. And then going into that, um, protection space of, of how, how do things work? Why are people trying to get this information? What is their purpose? What are they trying to, to, to do with it so that I can understand better from behavioral perspective, how do I make that difficult? How do I protect this (laughs) information that's been entrusted to me? And that's not a systems thing. That's not sitting there, you know, tapping away at your computer and coding things. It's understanding motivation and behavior. So so there has been this common thread um, throughout this whole bizarrely tangled um, path that, that I've taken. Um, and that's what I, I think I love about this you know, kind of privacy and, and security and protection space. Karen, this has absolutely been fascinating. I, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Women Who Protect, hearing your perspective, hearing your, your winding path, hearing how you were uh, pulled backward through a hedge, if I had the, the analogy <laughs> great. Well, so <laughs> but also just from the very start of our conversation, uh, the very important thing that, that you shared with us that... Um, privacy is not possible without security it was um, words I'd never heard before and, and so powerful. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Roll the Dice and was written by Mark Wallach. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcasts at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.